Welcome to First Mile's Climate Heroes. I'm your host, Bruce Bratley, founder of recycling company First Mile. On this show, we meet and learn from the climate heroes who are building solutions right now to tackle climate change. Each and every home in the UK throws away over 60 items of plastic packaging every single week. Add to this the 5.5 million tonnes of card packaging and the 2.5 million tonnes of glass, plus metals and cans, and we have a big mountain of waste packaging to deal with every single year. And this isn't a new problem. We've been canning food since 1810 and long-used paper single-use packs. But packaging waste is more conspicuous, and as we try to build a more circular economy, many brands are examining the viability of reusable packaging. And my guest on this episode of Climate Heroes is trying to fix this problem. Catherine Conway is Director and Reuse Lead at Go Unpackaged, where they help brands transition to reusable packaging for a circular economy. Catherine, welcome to First Mile's Climate Heroes. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Fantastic. So, Catherine, we want to know your history. You've been in the unpackaging market for a long uh, time. How did you get into this market and how did you become a climate hero? I got into this because in my 20s, I was living what I thought was an ethical life in London. And I used to go to various different places to refill products that I could. So back in those days, there was probably Ecover cleaning products. And I just remember standing in this health food shop one day thinking, if I can buy Ecova products, which are quite complicated products because they've got chemicals in them, even if they're eco, um, why can't I buy everything? Why can't I buy my oats and my cereal and my rice and my moisturizer and everything? And because I was young and idealistic, I thought, oh, well, I'll just set one of these shops up myself. So that led to, I worked on the idea for about a year and I worked on various iterations. Was it going to be a delivery van that went to people's houses? But that was back in the day, I think Tesco's had probably just started doing home deliveries. So that was such a difficult market to try and imagine. And so a friend of mine worked for a wonderful organization called Social Enterprise London, which used to help people with social enterprise ideas. And I remember him saying to me, we always tell people to go and set up a market stall. If you've got an idea for a shop, go and set up a market stall. So I got some funding from Unlimited, another brilliant organization that funds people who have ideas in their local communities. And I set up a a market stall. So I ran a market stall for a year. Uh, Then it became two market stalls. Then I realized I was going to destroy the axle on my grand Nissan Micra because I kept trying to transport, you know, hundreds of kilos of dry goods and cleaning products to these market stalls every week. And at that point, I thought I need a shop. So I went and got a bank loan and I set up the first what is considered to be the first modern zero waste store in 2007 in Islington in London. And it was a 400 square foot store and we had about 700 products. And I just tried to I just tried to find suppliers that would sell me products in reusables or loose. So my mum used to go down to Borough Market about once a month, sort of literally with sacks and pick up things loose for me. And slowly but slowly, other suppliers would say, oh, I can send you olive oil in a drum that I'll take back and refill and things like that. So it just it just grew from there, really. And presumably, uh, once you got that system working, it was easier to get, I don't know, like a 30 gallon drum of olive oil that's reusable than a single container because actually it's it's sort of economic for them to take it back and refill. It is, but it isn't. So logic would suggest that it is. 
But we have to remember that we have spent the last 50 years optimizing a supply chain based on single-use plastic packaging, whether it's consumer packaging or secondary packaging, which is mainly cardboard but still single-use, or tertiary packaging. Think of all the shrink wrap that, you know, ties up pallets and things. So, um, for, well, fortunately or unfortunately, it's brought, it's brought great benefits to us in terms of really efficient supply chains and lowering costs for consumers, but it comes at a terrible cost because – there is an economic cost to the waste of packaging. Uh, businesses pay about 10% towards the cost of disposal of uh, packaging. So we as consumers are paying the other 90% uh, hidden in our, in our council taxes. And there's a huge environmental cost. There's also a resources cost because we live on a finite planet. We have a growing population globally. More countries are developing and becoming middle class with the consumer desires of middle classes. Um, And we simply, we just don't have enough resources. So to me, it makes perfect sense that instead of having this linear economy where we take what are precious resources and use them for very short life products, whether it's packaging or plastic items, and then quite literally throw them in the ground or incinerate them or export them to other countries with worst Uh, with worse waste infrastructure than us, to me, it just makes much more sense to say, well, if we're all going to buy bottles of washing up liquid once a month, every month, and most people buy the same brand, why not just have that in a reusable? You know, if you imagine you would normally buy 12 in a year or buy one reusable and then see how many times you can reuse it for. I used to have customers, and okay, admittedly, it was 17 years ago, but I had customers that were still reusing the same Ecova bottles that they'd had since the 70s. I mean, they're so durable, plastic durable so to me it just seems to make logical sense but until to answer your question until we get the scale and the volumes up in terms of reuse and refill it's very hard to make it economically viable and that's because the true cost of the waste whether it's an environmental cost or the cost of cleaning it up is not built into the price of single-use products Um, and until that mechanic has changed, it does make it hard to implement reusable systems at cost parity to single use. And isn't that, isn't that goal sort of moving away because the sort of single-use packaging industry are masters, as you as, as said, optimising those supply chains? And if you take washing detergent as a good example, it used to come in a, in a, and sometimes still does, used to come in a, a cardboard box, then we moved to liquids and moved to an HDP bottle, and then the liquids have moved into a, a plastic pouch, which is hard to recycle. But from a footprint of the piece of packaging, it is very low because it's a very good product for carrying the material in. It's it's super cheap to make. It's low carbon to make. There's limited energy input for making a plastic pouch. And they've optimized the supply chain so well for single use that is is the ability to reuse moving further away than perhaps it was in the sort of 80s and 90s where packaging companies were restricted with technology to make a sort of a heavy duty hdp bottle for detergents i mean it's you're right it's massively challenging to try and introduce a new system but i guess my answer would be is if that material is so good for moving products around then why don't we just turn it into a reusable version of it you know there's plenty of actually those reused pouches that can be reused over and over again the only way we can do this really is to try and set up new systems and do proper life cycle analysis. So a life cycle analysis takes into account all of the impacts of a product at every stage of its life. So production, usage and disposal and try and show the full impact of the disposal of single use because 
you know, it's shocking the amount of waste that comes from single-use plastic packaging. And we are exporting. We are, you know, you work in the recycling industry. You know how much of it we're exporting. And we pretend that it's recycled. And it, all it takes is an NGO to go to somewhere in Poland or Turkey, was China, and find these absolute open tips full of UK supermarket packaging because we've exported it. It's gone through 15 subcontractors and it, everyone has reported dutifully reported it as recycled, and it gets dumped in a, an empty site in in a European country somewhere, if we're lucky. Absolutely, and I'm keen uh, keen to understand the sort of how we've ended up with this sort of super highway of single use, sort of not just packaging, but everything in life seems to be single use now. But if we get if if we sort of cast our minds not that long ago, there was a lot of reuse systems around. I mean, the classic one is you know milk being delivered on a milk float but there were lots of other reuse systems around that seem to seem to work perfectly well you know what's changed and 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 why is it going to be different this time around with reuse so i think there's and actually the um the team at the university of sheffield through their many happy returns project have been doing loads of sort of ethnographic work on sort of the societal shifts and everything i mean there's a sort of perfect storm i guess of technological development and as you say you know we've been able to create ever more sophisticated polymers and designs a huge shift and this is not in any way putting the blame on it but there was a huge societal shift that single use enabled which was women going out to work so instead of having to do all of the washing cleaning everything at home I think the the growth of the supermarket model as well as they sort of centralised their supply chains and drove out there's maybe the smaller players who had reusable systems, as you say, you know, most people now buy milk from a supermarket rather than getting it delivered from the milkman. So I think there's been this sort of confluence of factors of both sort of social, technological and economic. Um, and yes, I think if you were to take a, just a purely capitalist approach to it, you'd say, great, let's just carry on as we are. But I think society has moved on in our consciousness and this idea that we're just stealing resources from our children and our children's children and and what is this world we're living in, whether they're your children or someone else's children, I think we can probably all agree. And this goes across all demographics. I think there's this idea that, you know, reuse is only for privileged people and premium but everybody shares the same concerns. Nobody wants to leave a worse world for their children, grandchildren, or other people's children or grandchildren. It's just they don't have any options. You know, there aren't many options. There are lots of sort of reuse and refill pilots going on. We've been involved with a lot of them. But really, you'd have to live next to, I think it's, I think it's probably sub 1% of UK retail outlets offer you some sort of reuse or refill solution. So most mainstream consumers have never come across other options. And if they're not, you know, if their memories don't go back far enough, then they don't remember Corona pot bottles or or um, milk bottles or things like that. So I think, why do I think reuse is going to work this time? Well, I mean, I'm ever an optimist. I wouldn't have done this for 17 years if I didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No matter how depressed I get on a daily basis, I think I probably wake up every day thinking we can solve this. But I think technology's changed, uh, consciousness has changed, and consumers are are crying out for solutions. And I think 
if you work for a brand or a retailer that is pumping out of its packaging, well, then you've got some pressures coming down the line. So you've got consumer pressure. Um, if your competitor offers something that you don't, then you're going to lose them. Um, you've got regulatory pressure coming in because even a government such as the current Tory government, who is not known for putting regulation on business, agrees that we have to have this polluter pays framework, you know, this idea that if you profit from the sale of these goods, then you have to be accountable for them at their end of life. So I think there's a huge amount of regulatory pressure. And then there's also a commercial pressure because we live in a very volatile market and there are growing other markets that want the same resources that we've got. So in fact, you've got a lot of pressures coming down the line in terms of materials uh, costs fluctuating. So actually, if you're continually trying to buy metal, glass, plastic on the open market, well, if you've got reusables, then you've got, you can control that a lot better because you're actually buying and creating assets that are going to be reused and over and over again. So I guess my hope is that this confluence of factors, whether it's regulatory, consumer pressure, um, environmental pressures, will mean that reuse can succeed uh, this time, but only if we think about it from a system change perspective. It's actually not not a first mover advantage play, which most brands and retailers prefer. No one wins if only one retailer can do reuse because the system is too expensive. So even they don't win. So it only works if we all do it. First Mile is the UK's leading waste management service. We help over 30,000 businesses reduce their carbon impact with our award-winning range of recycling solutions. Go to our website, which is thefirstmile.co.uk to get started today. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday. Before we sort of get into this sort of uh, super interesting subject, I am keen to understand what Go and Package do. So you've got a long a history steeped in reuse from using Granny's Nissan Micra through to uh, what you're doing now. I mean, are we moving forward? And is Go Package lead, Go Unpackage leading the leading the way? Are you getting some traction now? We are, we are trying to. So how I got so I had one shop and then the shop was too small and I needed a bigger shop. So I moved the shop, but I made a not very good in retrospect decision to add a restaurant on. So it was meant to be like the wonderful silo in. Um, Hackney World, which is, you know, it was meant to be this wonderful zero waste restaurant that used all of the products from our shop. And we just didn't execute it well enough. So we actually went insolvent uh, through that second site. And I ended up sort of, there's this process you can go through where you you effectively buy the assets off the insolvency company. And I put them all in once again, my mom's garage, and licked my wounds and thought, God, I'm only like seven or eight years into this, and I haven't even dented the side of the problem of packaging. And I think originally I thought that I was going to save the world with my little independent shop and my chain of independent shops. And I realized very quickly that, you know, 98% of people shop in supermarkets. So if you want to tackle the problem, then you need to work with the supermarkets. So that sent us off on a different tangent where um, I started working with Planet Organic. So we have um, original unpackaged concessions within Planet Organic. Then that led to the project with Waitrose, which was the first sort of really big refill trial that was super successful that they did. On the back of that, other retailers wanted to set up different reuse and refill trials. So we worked with Abel and Cole and M&S and all of the big brands. Um, so that's really how we sort of morphed into a consultancy. And now we are 
a very specific consultancy focusing on the transition from single use to reuse. I have two business partners. So Helen Clements is my colleague who leads on innovation. So she's an innovation specialist. And you absolutely need to help businesses think differently about this challenge. You know, we can't just do business as usual. And then my other co-director, Rob Spencer, who used to work with CHEP. So they are the logistics company with the blue pallets that manage, you know, billions of reusable assets around a global supply chain. So he brings this huge sort of operational supply chain expertise to the business. And now we have kind of three key areas that we work on. So one is actually dreaming up solutions. The best example of that is the refill coalition work that we're doing at the minute, which I can talk about in a bit. Uh, then we do straight consultancy, so any form of kind of bespoke consultancy for any retailer or brand that, that wants us to come and help them design something different. And then we do policy and research. So we are actively trying to work with policymakers to help create good reuse policy that brings business with us. Because as I say, I, w- I work with so many of these businesses that are calling for supportive regulation as an enabler rather than a blocker. And there is a way to design this legislation. So we work with a lot of the other main charities working on reuse. And then we do interesting research pieces for various NGOs. We did a really interesting piece for the Rethink Plastic Alliance last year, where we looked at the sort of the social side of reuse. So this idea of the just transition and actually the economic and the job opportunities that could come through reuse. Uh, Because I think those of us, it's it's really funny, I'm going off at a slight tangent here, but this whole sort of anti-ULES Tory culture war, I find so bizarre because they're meant to be the party of business, the party of growth. And I think if you talk to anyone who works in the green economy, we can see jobs, you know, potential jobs coming out of our ears with the transition to, to green economy, whether it's reuse centers, you know, warehouses that could be washing and cleaning things, you know, whether it's working with, you know, existing firms like yourselves to talk about how, how you actually start moving resources around a circular supply chain rather than a linear one, whether it's a transition to, um, from, you know, coal and uh, to, to green electricity. To me, it seems like such an economic opportunity and such an opportunity for Britain to lead on a world stage. And I find it so bizarre that they've gone the other way and are just using it as a, a stick to beat everyone with to try and win. And now we can't. Yeah, we're not going to make people transition if the if it if it just looks like a really bad a bad idea all round. It needs to be shown to be a positive and a positive change. Tell us about the refill coalition. So the Refill Coalition has been going for three years, and it is our attempt to standardise bulk dispensers. So for your listeners who can't imagine it, a bulk dispenser is a, a big hopper in a store that has a handle on it, and you come and you bring your own packaging, and you refill into your own packaging using the handle on the dispenser. It's what I had in my little zero-waste store. It's what Waitrose had. It's what all of the big retailers have tried to do. The problem with the current system is, is we call it manual refills because you literally need somebody to take it off a shelf when it's empty, take it apart into 15 pieces, clean it hygienically, and then refill it with, you know, say a 25-kilo sack of rice that's coming through. So the problem with that is it adds a load of uh, staff time and cost into the model, so it makes it more expensive. Supermarkets are just not set up, you know, their their staffing models are just not set up for that level of, um, you know, intense handling. Because of our very 
entirely proper um, sort of uh, food safety laws, they effectively have to set up a clean room at the back of each store to do it in because it's a food handling area. So that costs about 20 to 30 grand. So that you've got to add that cost in. And they're all trying to do it themselves, you know, as I say, manually. So the, the genesis of the Refill Coalition was the idea that this just can't scale because no single brand or retailer can do it by themselves. So what would happen, the, the innovation that uh, my colleague Helen led us on, is what would happen if we redesigned that hopper into a nice front uh, that can be branded, that stays in the store, and then a vessel that sits at the back of it. So exactly the same way that a beer keg works in a pub with a nice brand beer tap that stays in, in the pub. And then the vessel becomes effectively like the beer keg. It's standardized. It could be refilled by Kellogg's one day, get sent to Morrison's, and it could come back out and, you know, go back to Nestle and, you know, any any other brand to any other retailer, right? So we had the idea. We took it out to industry. We were supported from the start by um, Innovate UK uh, and Chet to really take this idea out. And every single retailer and brand that we spoke to you know they gave us good feedback on how to improve the design but at heart they said this is something we could all get behind so that led to a large piece of funding from innovate uk who have something called the smart sustainable plastic packaging fund and they funded big demonstrator projects of which we are one and the aim was to get multi-retailers to trial something across multiple sites so it's you wouldn't necessarily have chosen to do this project when you were going to be hit with a war in Ukraine, an energy crisis, a cost of living crisis coming out of the back of the pandemic as well. So we started during the pandemic. Um, so I think it's fair to say that market conditions have been really, really hard. And that has probably led to various retailers coming in and out of the coalition. But as of last week, we launched the in-store version with Aldi which is so exciting because, you know, they represent a different part of the market, uh, a more mainstream part. And if you can make it work in an Aldi, you can, with the amount of streamlined operations they've got, you can make it work in any retailer. So we have launched the in-store part selling dry goods. Uh, so we sell uh, muesli, granola, um, oats, and all of those products are sold at 5% cheaper than the equivalent package of it which is literally opposite it in the aisle so the idea is to say to consumers for this tiny bit of behavior change like bringing your own container you can get your products at five percent cheaper now if you think of what inflation is doing to food prices at the minute that's a really compelling message you know it's uh, as helen would always say it's similar to ikea is it you can have the products cheaper in ikea but you've got to put them together yourself at home you know there are ways of doing this and 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 asking consumers to do things differently. So that launched last week. We're working on a liquid part of it. So the vessel would then um, be able to sell liquids. Uh, so, you know, non, non-food liquids like household cleaners and personal care. So we're working on that part of it. And then Acardo are leading on the online version of the vessel, which is a sort of smaller vessel. Uh, so about a sort of three kilo size that will do sort of both dry goods like pasta, as well as things like laundry liquid, um, fabric condition and things like that. And they'll be launching with that in early 2024. But what sits at the heart of it is standardization. So everybody within our industry is talking about standardization and collaboration. And we actually made it happen. And we got to something that is live. And now we're talking to other retailers about taking it up and then also retailers in Europe because we have to remember that despite Brexit we are part of a global supply chain and we have to have 
systems that work uh, across across borders. So so it's it's super exciting. I mean, it's the biggest project that we have worked on, but it's exactly where we now want to focus our efforts, which are in these kind of multi-stakeholder collaborative projects that can achieve real, real change. You know, so if we can solve this, then we can move on to other products. There's about 20,000 other types of products we can move on to after this. On this show, we're building a hall of fame for climate heroes, and we always ask our wonderful guests to leave something in First Mile's Climate Heroes Hall of Fame. So, what or who would it be? If you'll let me, I would like to put imagination into your climate hall of fame, because I think we get very caught up in thinking that things have to be done the way that they've always been done. And I think actually with the right imagination, we can imagine a better future, better systems, better products, better ways of meeting consumers' needs while still living in the confines of the planet that we've got. So I'm going to put imagination into your Hall of Fame. Fantastic. Amazing. Thank you very much, Catherine. What's the best book ever written on climate change or reuse or unpackaged products that you could recommend for our listeners it could be a tv program film any form of media so i am going to recommend something called the ministry for the future by kim stanley robinson and i am also going to confess that i it's literally on my bedside table that i'm about to start reading it <laughs> it's part of this uh, movement which i think is called cli-fi which is all about how we might envisage a future that sort of uses kind of the hope of science fiction to address climate challenges. The reason that I haven't started it is because apparently the first chapter is quite a difficult read because I think it lays bare what a climate catastrophe would look like for society. But then the rest of the uh, book is meant to be the most inspiring way of thinking about what the opportunities are for us uh, in the future. So yes, so that's what I'm saying, the Ministry for the Future. Brilliant. I love it. That's sort of a future utopianist. Uh, I like that idea. Now, this episode is going out, um, Catherine, on the 22nd of December when listeners will be hearing it, and they'll all be full of Christmas lunch and surrounded in packaging, no doubt, from all sorts of gifts. What are your top tips for making Christmas more sustainable? What do you do in your household? Well, I guess if they're listening to some 22nd of December, then these are top tips for 2020, Christmas 24. <laughs> so what do I Very good, yeah. New Year's resolutions. <laughs> I start buying things throughout the year because I have a seven-year-old and I don't want to totally ruin her Christmas by not allowing her to have any presents. Uh, but I do try and avoid anything that could be deemed as plastic tat. So throughout the year, if I find nice little paper things or crafty things, then I start buying them so that I can, you know, so she still gets a stocking full of things, but just not, you know, full of those kind of cheap plastic things. So that's my first tip. Second tip is eBay or any other pre-loved site is you can buy everything off there. So and is there any sort of top things to go for at the moment for getting an unpackaged Christmas? I mean, obviously head to uh, Aldi. Yeah, there are various people that do reusables. So you can get a reusable Christmas tree that you can rent and then they put it back in. So it comes with roots and then they put it back in so you're not cutting it down. Uh, and to be honest, I think all of the retailers are doing interesting, sustainable reusable products so yes you can go to aldi and solihull and refill for the people in your life who want a lovely 
muesli uh, as a Christmas present. I think really my message would be is go and support the retailers that are doing conscious, sustainable, reusable products, because the more you support them, the more they will see market demand for them. And if they see market demand for them, that makes my job a lot easier because it actually shows that consumers want to buy that. Brilliant. And lots of our listeners are in offices and um, or working in other businesses. What's your top tips for avoiding packaging waste in the office? Can there, is there some specifics that can be done there or is it is it the same sort of advice for consumers? Uh, same advice, but I think about like what are all the things that you regularly use. So if you're regularly going and getting coffees, then everybody, you know, persuade your business to buy everybody a reusable coffee cup. Uh, don't ever be embarrassed. Most places you can take your own Tupperware to. So if you go and get a nice salad from your local salad bar, most places, if you go into them and say, listen, I really want to come with my own Tupperware, is that okay? Most places will say, yeah, no problem, because it saves them money. They don't have to buy the single-use packaging to put it into. So I think don't be afraid. Just try and make those decisions. And then I think if you've got a green team, a green council, a sustainable, you know, most businesses have various groups that volunteer to make changes. So see what your local sustainability group is trying to do to make change and support them. And what's coming up that you're most excited about? Are you going to be rolling out across all Aldi stores in the UK or is that, are we, anything that you can tell us that is not a, not a secret that you're excited about? Because we'd love to hear things to watch out for. So I think the most exciting things are the other parts of this Refill Coalition project because, as we say, we have um, the in-store food bit that has been developed. If we can get in-store liquids, that would be super exciting. The online part of the trial that's coming in early 2024 is really exciting. And then the thing that we're working on is at the minute, if you take your own container to Aldi, you have to, you can, you've got three options. Either you take a paper bag, which we don't really want people to do because it's still single use. So then you've got two options. You either purchase an Aldi container, which you can do, and it's brilliant because the weight of that container is already set in the scale. So it makes it super easy because it just removes that. But what we're actually working on is a tearless system. So at the minute, consumers have to come in they put their own container on the scale and they have to zero it off you know in the same way that you do if you put a bowl at home on a mixing bowl on a scale we're actually working on a solution that effectively the dispensers will count the amount of product dispensed like a petrol pump so that would remove that action for the uh, consumer to do and anything that we can do to make refilling and reuse you know frictionless is welcome because it just makes it that little bit easier for consumers you know this isn't about trying to make people's lives difficult a lot of people have really difficult lives and they're just doing their best and we need to use innovative thinking to create solutions that work for them in their lives brilliant Catherine. we'll leave it there i'm conscious of time it's been absolutely uh, fantastic to have you on first miles climate heroes thank you for coming on the show thanks for having me I'm Bruce Brightley, and you've been listening to First Miles Climate Heroes, where we meet incredible people making an impact to tackle climate change. If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and subscribe to the show. We have brand new episodes every Wednesday.